You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to a brand new feature on the POD cast. We are doing Saturday morning chat through the locker room app. My name is Jeremy Reisman. I am the editor in chief of Pride of Detroit. I have a couple of our Pride of Detroit friends with us who are going to answer some questions and maybe hear from some of the fans from our site. So let me introduce them first. Ryan Matthews is with me as always. Ryan, how are you doing, buddy? No, oh, I'm doing well. Even though it's Saturday, it doesn't feel like I'm working. Yeah. I'm working for the people today. There it is. Love it. And uh, with us uh, for the first time uh, on the PODcast, other than our one-to-one chat, and uh, he also got in a a chat with uh, our good friend uh, uh, Mike Payton, uh, if you listen to his uh, man coverage podcast this week. Uh, Eric Schlitt, new to Pride of Detroit, the managing editor of Pride of Detroit. Eric, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing good, buddy. Uh, I, I'm uh, ready to go. Saturdays are just another day, you know. We got to be willing to, you know, n- no off-season, I guess. Right, Jeremy? Sure, no, no days off. <laughs> I, I think that was a subtle shot at Barstool Sports saying that Saturdays are just another day. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I was I – was, uh, Thinking back to when Jeremy was uh, 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 called out by Deuce Staley when he was talking about, uh, you know, why didn't he ask questions in the press conference? And, <laughs> and Jeremy said he was in off-season mode. <laughs> so I don't I don't remember it that way. Uh, <laughs> anyways, um, so if you're new, if you're just listening to the podcast, we are doing this all through the Locker Room app, which allows people to listen live, allows people to ask questions live, and then I think the coolest feature is that people can request to talk and literally jump here on the podcast, give us a question, give us a comment, and, and we'll respond to it. And we already have someone who uh, who requested to jump in here. And Sean, if you're if you're ready and you're still in here, um, let's let's see how this whole thing works. Um, I'll try to pull you up the board here, and if I can manage, let's see. Sean, are you there? Yeah. Hey, how are y'all? Good, Sean. How are you, man? Doing good, doing good. Welcome to Locker Room, first of all. I like to come in these these chats with some new folks because I just am always wanting to learn as a sports fan. So I'm a, I'm a big Tennessee guy, a Southern guy, but I, I love following uh, Detroit. There's a big following on here, so um, a, lot, a lot of opportunity. Um, I just want to ask, um, first off, thank you for having me. Um, so Dan Campbell, obviously, um, first, uh, first uh, draft coming up. The number seven pick in a draft, and I think that with the Lions trade of Stafford for golf, um, one fortunate thing is is that you don't find yourself in the same boat with some others as to where does a quarterback make sense. So I, you know, it may make sense for y'all. I don't know, but I do feel like this is a really big opportunity where y'all can get your next 
staple of either your offense or your defense for the next decade. And I think that it's a defining pick for the Campbell era. Even if, if you even keep it, you may trade it back. But it seems like Jamar Chase makes some sense. It seems like that Micah Parsons makes some sense. Um, I guess, obviously, the decision with Kenny Galladay is going to be one that kind of steers that pick. But what do y'all have y'all's feelings at as far as, hey, when it comes to where we are, we do have the option of either getting possibly a face of the franchise for our offense or face of the franchise for our defense, and kind of which way are y'all looking to go with that number seven? Uh, I think I'm going to throw this right to Eric because he's definitely uh, a bigger on the draft guy than I am. But I, I mean, that's I think that's a really good way to put the line situation there is that they really can go either side of the ball. They don't necessarily have to quarterback go quarterback. They might still. So, Eric, what, what are your thoughts on, on that first pick for the line this year? Yeah, I do think the uh, the value is is on offense right uh, at the top of this draft. Uh, looking at a receiver like Tamar Chase would be a, a fantastic uh, option for them. Uh, if uh, one of the offensive tackles fell, I, I don't think we can rule them out, even though the offensive line is, is pretty stable. Uh, but again, yeah, I, th- I do think quarterback is still in play just because this team is – uh, building for the future. It's looking to get a player that can be the face of this franchise in 2023. And so I, I do think that puts uh, quarterback very much in play uh, because Goff, you know, hasn't really proven anything uh, in, in Detroit yet. So uh, quarterback makes a lot of sense. Wide receiver makes a lot of sense. Um I don't know if I'm I'm sold on Parsons. I, I know Parsons is is very much considered the top defensive player in this draft, but I don't I don't know if he's uh, going to be in the top ten on a lot of teams' draft boards. And because of that, uh, I, I think the the value is probably on the offensive side of the ball. If if Chase is there, I, I'd love to see that happen. Um, but I think one of the Alabama receivers uh, could also make a lot of sense. I'm kind of torn between uh, quarterback and, re- and receiver right now, which way I think the Lions will be uh, will be headed. And so, Eric, and thank you for that answer. A question that I'll ask is it seems like on your end, if offense is the answer, it may be determined about what happens before the Lions, you know, in those first six picks. And if you see, obviously, Lawrence is going, but if you see Fields and Wilson go, and then you also see Chase, and it comes down to the Alabama receivers, could there be something that makes sense for y'all trade back if you're kind of okay with either Waddle or Smith? gain some extra picks, still get your difference-making wide receiver potentially, and obviously build for your future even more if Chase and the three quarterbacks are not there. Because it seems like that seven spot could also be a hot spot for Detroit to trade back if they feel there's a guy or there's a couple guys they'd be satisfied with either one if they wanted to move back. No, I completely agree. Uh, if they have the option to move back, I, I fully expect them to. Um, you know, Trey Lance is going to be an interesting option in that scenario, uh, as is both of the Bama receivers. But um, if they get the opportunity to trade back, this this team is focused on building for 2023. So, uh, you know, even if they trade back and they're acquiring picks in 2022, you know, you may not even see them, you know, get a value pick this year. If they can get somebody next year, that's going to be super beneficial beneficial for what their long-term plans are. So I do think trade back would be a a priority. 
Thank you all very much, guys, as a Titans fan who's been there going a decade without a postseason win. It sucks. Um, you know, hopefully <laughs> golf can have a bit of a resurrection. But good luck to you all on this draft, and hope you all get back uh, to being, you know, a winning franchise again. The NFL is better for it when Detroit's there. So best of luck to you all. Hey, appreciate that, Sean. Thanks for the comments and the questions. That's a, that was a really good start to the conversation, I think. Um, Ryan, I do want to throw one more name out there to you because it's someone that you kind of pounded the table for during one of our breaks. Uh, that's Kyle Pitts. Do you think mm-hmm. he can play there at seven? And uh, is he does he deserve to kind of just be among that conversation that, that we're doing with all the top wide receivers? I, I think he definitely belongs in that conversation, Jeremy. And I know a lot of Lions fans are going to um, – you know, probably gag at the thought of another tight end in the top 10, but Kyle Pitts is more than just that. And, um, you know, his biggest strength really is just his ability to move. And he really, I mean, he, he's got the body of a tight end, but he, he can just play like a, you know, he can play like a jumbo wide receiver. Um, you know, he's not going to be your typical inline tight end, but guess what? You have TJ Hawkinson on the roster. So, um, I think what Pitts does offer, though, is a lot of versatility. I mean, because, you know, putting him on the line isn't a detriment. Um, I would say that he's probably – I would say that he's a little bit more polished in that sense in the game than Eric Ebron even was. Um, and I just think that he's an even better wide receiver. Um, so I, I I don't want to say that Kyle Pitts is off the board and – and you also have to think about who is the Lions head coach? It's Dan right. Campbell. Right. I mean, if anything, like, wouldn't he have a little bit of an affinity for a guy like a guy like Pitts who can just kind of do it all? So um, I, I think that I, I think that Lions fans should should at least not take Pitts off their board or at least off the table. I don't know. What do you think, Eric? How, how do you feel about Kyle Pitts? No, I I agree that he's going to be in that mix. Um, you know, when you look at how some of the draft entities are are ranking these uh, skill players, Pitts is right in the same conversation uh, with Jamar Chase and uh, the, the two Alabama receivers. And 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 I, I do think it really comes down to how you view Pitts. And uh, there's a lot of comps uh, to Darren Waller, who's a Pro Bowl uh, tight end in in. Uh, what Las Vegas now, right? Um, and then I see other people that are comparing him to Mike Evans, right? And so when you're talking about those types of skills, that's a guy who's going to be, uh, you know, viewed differently. I, I think you can throw the tight end label out when it comes to Pitts, and I, I do think he's going to be considered in the top ten. I expect him to go into top ten. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then one stat for everybody that that comes courtesy of Pro Football Focus, but. Um, you know, most tight ends, it's really easy to game plan them because they can't really separate against man coverage. As Eric just alluded to, I think you can almost kind of take the tight end label off of him because uh, pro football focus had him as 4.91 yards per route versus man coverage. Um, so he has the ability to separate against corners and to separate against linebackers. Um, Cause that set was the third highest player uh, or third highest of any player in the country. Um, and nearly two yards more than any other tight end. So, like, Kyle Pitts is just – he's different. Yeah, no question about it. Uh, I'm going to jump into some questions here that we got ahead of time. Um, again, if you're watching this live, feel free to throw some in the chat. Or if you want to say something, feel free to for jo- join the room itself. Um, but here's one question that we got from uh, the Pride of Detroit website. Um, DP Victory asks, 
what would be a successful 2021 in terms of wins and losses? That's a tricky hmm. one. Because, obviously, I think I don't think anyone really expects this team to compete for a division. I mean, even with the uh, the extra playoff spot, I don't think a wild card is, is necessarily a realistic goal in year one. Um, and, and maybe wins and losses isn't the best way to, to judge how this first season goes, but what would you be happy with? I guess maybe that's a better way to phrase the question. What win total would you be, okay, that, that's a good start for, for Dan Campbell. Go ahead, Eric. Take this one. <laughs> uh, well, for me, you know, you're always looking for the team to improve, right? And, and there's going to be expected turnover on this roster, and, uh, even if even if they didn't change the, the coaching staff, right? So you would expect some big sweeping changes to happen regardless. So with that in mind, uh, and you're expecting improvement, I'd like to see them win more than five games. They won five games last year. I, ex- I expect them to win more than five. Um, like, like Jeremy said, I expecting them to be on the, on the, you know, cusp of being a playoff team, I, I don't think is very realistic. So that narrows you down to, you know, more than five, but less than what eight. So, um, I think six, seven wins is, is realistic uh, to be if to consider it a, a successful season. Yeah, I, I think what's interesting too, Eric, about this season is that uh, it's a phrase that's used probably too often uh, among sports media, but this idea of like moving the goalposts. The the Lions under Matt Patricia, it was we kind of got we we grew a little tired of the the Lions are in it in it in it until the fourth quarter and they can't finish i think if the lions are in games and they're competitive and maybe they don't come out on the winning end in dan campbell's first season i think hopefully fans are a little bit more um lenient or you know they're they're a little bit more understanding of the fact that you know this is i I guess i'll use the word that brad holmes uses right this is a retool so i mean it's it's going to take a little bit of time so there's that difference in you know in whether or not the Lions either win those close games this year or maybe lose those close games this year. Because, you know, if the Lions don't take a quarterback at the top of the draft this year, you might be looking for your next guy, you know, in 2022. So, I mean, I don't know. I I, I want them to win games, but at the end of the day, I just want them to be competitive and I want them to show signs that they're improving, like you said, Eric. I don't know. Jeremy, where are you at with it? Yeah, I mean, if, if we're whittling it down to win total, I mean, the win total really doesn't matter all that much to me. I, like, like Eric, I, you know, I'd love them to, to at least put up five or six wins. Um, but, but in the end, it doesn't matter. What I want to see is what basically they've been, you know, drumming. The, 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 the statement they've been kind of saying all offseason, which is there's talent on this team. It just looks like they didn't know what they were doing last year. <laughs> And and that's I mean without calling out the the coaching staff directly that's calling the coaching out, staff out directly, mm-hmm. um, and, and so what I want to see is those players that they believe still have that potential show that potential. So I want to see maybe Deshaun Hand take that step that we've been waiting for for three years. Maybe see Tracy Walker get back uh, on the right track. Maybe 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 I'm not I'm not holding my breath on this one, but maybe Will Harris shows something. <laughs> um, I, I and I mean they're 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 even you know banging the drum for Jared Davis now that's another one I'm certainly not holding my hope for if if they even re-sign him but I need those players to improve I need these guys that were drafted high that we all saw the talent for you know either in training camp preseason games or even you know a game or two it seems like so many players regressed 
under the previous coaching staff. I want to see those guys bounce back, and I don't care if it results in wins or losses in 2021, if I'm being completely honest. Yeah, that Jared, that Jared Davis drum, Jeremy, has been echoing for quite some time. <laughs> it it's, uh, yeah, it's pretty interesting uh, what what everyone seems to see in him, and then we don't see it on the field for, for whatever reason. Um, let me jump into some questions here from our, our live audience here. Um, we got one from Pierre. He asked, uh, Eric, who are your top five quarterbacks in order? And I imagine this is uh, regarding the draft. Now, I know the answer to this question. Because, uh, little known fact, and I'll throw in a little plug for you here. Uh, if you subscribe to, to Eric's Patreon, he basically sends you his big board by position. And so I have his big board uh, <laughs> with, with all five guys. But I'll, I'll, let you, I'll let you give it to him. I'll, I'll, let, I'll let this, since, uh, since it's a new thing, I'll let, I'll let some people have some freebies here. <laughs> um, I, yeah, Lawrence is, of course, the top guy. Uh, I think there's some debate over... Is Zach Wilson or Justin Fields number two? Um, uh, right now, I have Zach Wilson uh, a little bit ahead, but I, I'm not completely. Um, you know, that's not written in pen right now. That's that's put out there right now um, with with Wilson ahead, and and I've I've still got some more film study to do on these guys before I really finalize that. But um, Lance then comes in at four, and then uh, Mac Jones is five, and then it, there's a cliff, right? It falls off the cliff after that, and um, I fully expect Lawrence Wilson Fields and Lance to go in the top 15, if not the top 10. And then uh, Jones, I, I think he's a day two quarterback, but with that uh, fifth year option uh, and with that comes along with the first round pick, you could always see a team that likes Jones and wants that fifth year option, you know, try and jump in late into the, like the 30 or 31st pick and try and grab uh, him there. Well, yeah. And, and you mentioned that, that huge cliff right after Mac Jones, so that might mean the team gets a little nervous. They're not going to get a quarterback and maybe gets a little more aggressive than, uh, than is warranted given his play. Yeah. And Eric, I got a question about your top five. So when yeah. you say that, when you say that Wilson and fields are, mm -hmm. you know, two and three right after Lawrence, is that right now out of the box? Like, how do you feel about Trey Lance? Do you think that he could eventually, you know, over the development of his NFL career, maybe be above those guys by the end of it. Yeah. Yeah, for certain. Um, he has, he has the intangibles to, to be better than both Wilson and fields. And I think that's what makes him so attractive to a team like the lions, because they're looking for a guy who's going to be successful two years from now, as opposed to successful immediately. Um, you can put Zach Wilson on the field right now. You can put fields on the field right now, even though I think there's going to be a bit, a bit of a learning curve for him. And that's really why I think Wilson's ahead. Um, there's not as much of like on field stuff that he's got to learn. Uh, but, but Lance has more to learn. Uh, but the intangibles are just off the charts. Like he's, a, he's like Kyler Murray, but, but much bigger. Right. And so mm -hmm. I love, I, there's so much to like about that. Um, and if he ends up, you know, that's why I think he's in play at seven. Yeah. Jeremy just heard you compare Zach Wilson to, uh, to, to uh, Kyler. Kyler Murray and went stinky, stinky. <laughs> I mean, if, if, if there's less of a Kyler Murray fan than Jeremy Reisman, show him to me because I'm not sure that there is one. I'm, I'm not a Kyler Murray hater. I just I think the NFL and, and their fans have this obsession with just falling in love with the rookie quarterback a little too early. And I feel like I was kind of right on that. Like everyone expected the Cardinals and, and Kyler Murray to 
to blow up the 2020 season and it didn't work out. And I mean, it's not that hard to remember that Kyler Murray threw three interceptions against who? The Detroit Lions last year. <laughs> that secondary was able to no. Murray three times. Jeff Okuda is pretty good though. So, <laughs> give him all I'm saying with Kyler Murray is give him, <laughs> not crown him right away because yeah. I, I I know we tend to do that with with rookie uh, with rookie guys or young guys. Um, yeah. We got a speaker request. Let's uh, let's bring Nicholas in here uh, to ask a question or maybe leave a comment. Nick, can you hear us? Can you hear me? Yep, I can hear you. Hey, uh, sorry, I joined a little bit late, so I don't know if you guys went over this already. But um, I have two questions. Can I sneak both in? Sure, absolutely. All right. Uh, first, um, I know that you guys kind of went over it on the pod, so maybe uh, get Eric's take on it. Sure. But if you're okay with a wide receiver at seven, would you be okay with Pitts at seven, <laughs> considering what he does? <laughs> and then the second question, a little hypothetical, uh, I think everyone agrees there's no great defender in the top 10, but if you were forced to take defense at seven, who would you take? Yeah, let's uh, let's start with Pitts because Ryan talked a little bit about him already. Eric, I'd love to get your kind of thoughts on, on Pitts potentially being there at seven. Yeah, I think Chase is is the number one receiver, and, and then um, it's going to kind of be a pick em for who you like as your pass catcher after him. There's going to be um, a faction of the NFL that really wants a Tyreek Hill speed slot option, and they're going to go after Waddle. There's going to be an, um, another portion of the, of the um, NFL that wants the bigger 6'5 type receiver, and then that's going to be Pitts. And, um, or do you want the Heisman Trophy winner, Smith, who's just production and um, efficiency in his route? So it's going to be... I think you can put all three of those guys right next to each other, right at the same ranking, and then just pick which one you think best fits your style. So I do think Pitts is in that mix for sure. All right, and then let's talk uh, defensive players in the draft. I feel like I feel like we have to bring up this guy who's really just been the the po- most polarizing, I think, guy for the options at seven. That's Micah Parsons. Um, Ryan, where where do you currently stand on Micah Parsons as, as a potential pick with the seventh overall? Yeah, I. I... I, I think I stand not firmly in the camp. Like I definitely am, am one foot in and one foot out on, do we really need to be drafting and prioritizing an off ball linebacker at number seven uh, in today's NFL, unless he does like insane things. I mean, I think we've seen this with, um, you know, a, a, not the same mold, but you know, Jabril peppers, you know, um, we're talking about like Devin bushes and, and, and Devin white. Like, I mean, are those guys going to be valuable enough to take at seven? And I just don't think so. I think that what you want ideally to see the Lions do is is move back and take one of those guys. Now, I know that always takes a trade partner, but um, Parsons is just not my guy at seven right now. I'm, I'm not convinced that he does enough stuff to be that much of a game changer at seven. I don't know. How do you feel about Parsons at seven, Eric? I, I think he's going to be the popular defender that that people are going to put up there um mm-hmm. but again I, th- I think there's enough questions about him that i don't think it's a surefire uh the you know option that he's going to go in the top 10 um when you look at if this defense is going to model themselves after the rams which is what we all anticipate they basically use 
one off the ball linebacker almost all the time. And then they're going to split their other linebacker roles um, from an off the ball spot to an uh, on the line of scrimmage spot. They're going to use certain guys on the line of scrimmage and certain guys off the ball. And they want those guys off the ball to kind of be speed options. So in Parsons, he's going to give you a guy that could maybe fill both the speed option off the ball as well as he can play up on the line of scrimmage. So, you know, if you draft Parsons, you're basically playing Parsons and Collins all the time. And the rest of your linebackers are kind of just extra overflow. Right. But if you look at how the Rams have built, how Holmes is added, you know, suggested adding linebackers in the past, they usually don't go after guys that early. And so, um, if the if you don't value linebackers that early and you think that you can fill roles with specific guys playing at the linebacker level then maybe you don't maybe he's not going to be as high a priority uh for the lions so you know if you look at other defender options there it's not it's a lot of fringe guy fringe top 10 guys not a lot of solid top 10 guys you know it's debatable yeah. who's who's the best edge rusher um i think there's two really good corners in this draft but again are you going to take a top 10 after just taking a top three? So uh, I don't, I'm not sure that they're necessarily going to go that route. Uh, I just don't think it's a great draft to, to go defense unless like you suggested, they, they trade back and then they, they're, they're going to be a lot more options in the middle of the first round. Uh, and I, th- I think that's so emblematic of your original point, Eric, is that the value for that seven pick is going to be on the offensive side of the ball, which it's kind of difficult for the Lions because, uh, Jeremy, I want you to kind of answer this question. Like, do you think that the Lions are truly set up for just best player available at seven? I, I think they are, honestly. Um, I, I do think, obviously, they're they're better set on offense than they are defense. But considering, you know, where the strength is with the draft, with that seventh pick, like, well, on offense, it's wide receiver, which is the biggest need maybe on the entire team right now because we don't know the future of Kenny Galladay and I think every other starter at wide receiver last year is pretty much already out the door. Um, so, yeah, I do really think, and, you know, even offensive tackle, you know, if, if, if Panay Sewell, um, you know, happens to somehow drop all the way to seven, like that's not a bad pick for the Lions either. They need a right tackle. It sounds like Vitae might be the team's starting right guard going forward. And then do you want Tyrell Crosby to be your, your long-term starting right guard, right tackle? I don't think so. So, I think there's really not a player or a position necessarily that's off the board as long as you view it as valuable. And to bring it back to Mike Parsons, that's where the whole debate, I think, is. Um, obviously, there, there's some off-the-field issues, too, but that's something that we can't really assess not knowing him, not being able to talk to people close to him. That's something that the Lions are just going to have to vet on their own. But when it comes to his play, his talent, and his value, I think most of the questions are just simply, is an off-ball linebacker worth the seventh overall pick? Eric made a lot of good points about how in the past it doesn't seem like the Rams have valued those. But he also made a good point in that it would basically make it so him and Jamie Collins aren't coming off the field and everyone else in that linebacking core is just playing kind of a a complimentary role. And that sounds pretty good to me, honestly. And so, I don't know. I I think Mike Parsons really needs to be considered with that seventh overall pick. I'm not sure if if I am in line with the people who think that off-ball linebacker spot isn't worth as much. When this guy can do it all, he can drop into coverage, which is something this team find for the longest time. He can also pass rush. He's got speed. He's got power. He, he kind of is a do-it-all linebacker. And, and yes, there, there are questions, and, and no prospect is ever going to be perfect, but I think he's exactly what the Lions need to kind of be almost the centerpiece to the defense. And so I, I think he needs to be part of that conversation. 
I, I think the one last thing about Parsons, Jeremy, is that, and I'm not comparing him to Jared Davis because they're 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 different players in in a sense, but sure. I'm not so totally sure on him being that great in coverage, um, sure. especially because he has the athleticism. I think, but I mean, you look at some of his stats; like he only has four career pass breakups, and I think people are like, "Well, he's athletic enough, so he should be fine in man coverage or playing in in zone coverage." aren't those kind of the same traps that we fell into with Jared Davis too, is like, he's athletic enough to get from sideline to sideline. So yeah, he'll just, he'll just figure it out. And what have we seen from Jared Davis over the past, you know, uh, you know, five seasons, it's just been like, Oh no, he's not that guy. <laughs> yes. I mean, that's the challenge of the draft, right? You're, you're yeah. a lot of things. You can't No, no person has perfect film and no person has been put, you know, in every single possible situation. Uh, right properly evaluate Hey, Jeremy, I want to jump in here for one more second. Yeah. Um, I want to go back to something you said when you're, you, you were talking about the needing that a right tackle of, of the future. And and I think that's an important th- aspect that we need to touch on here when we're looking at the draft. Because when you when the NFL teams are, are looking at the draft, they're drafting for longevity. They're using free agency for short-term needs. So we, you have to look beyond 2021 and, and where are the holes on the roster uh, in, in 2022 even, right? right. And, and the biggest holes right now, based on the players that they have, is they, they obviously don't have receivers. Uh, but there's a big hole at right tackle. They don't have anyone signed. If you consider Vitae a guard, they don't have a right tackle – uh, in 2022 right now they also don't have safeties but you're not taking those in the top 10 and depending on how many you know how the cuts happen you know you may, maybe you're looking for a third corner but that's why i think you can't rule out uh, a couple of these offensive tackles at the top because from a long-term perspective that's a big need 100 yeah. that's that's a really good point and that's something that brad holmes has said in the past too right like I think in his introductory press conference, he said, like, I'm always kind of thinking two, three years ahead because you have to in this league. Otherwise, you're going to fall way behind. Um, so, yeah, I do think that's an important point to kind of reiterate there. Uh, anything else, Nicholas, before we uh, we jump to another question? Uh, nope, that's it. Thanks, guys, and uh, congrats on the new gig, Eric. Thank you. Appreciate the question there, Nick. Uh, let's go back to some of our pre-question here. Um, another one from DP Victory, which I think is an interesting one that we, we haven't really talked about at all kind of moving away from the draft here for a second. He says, should the Lions volunteer to do hard knocks? Now, I love I love me some hard knocks, and I think Dan Campbell would be extremely entertaining on hard knocks, but is there any benefit for the Lions to be doing that? Let's go to you first, Ryan. You made it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you put me on the spot with this one. Um, <laughs> is there any benefit to being on hard knocks? Other than visibility... I don't know if you can make any argument that says that the Lions would benefit um, from, you know, a development standpoint from being on hard knocks. Like, I, I just think that it would just heighten the awareness around the team. Now, obviously, that was a point of contention with the previous regime. And I, I was kind of thinking about hard knocks the other day. And 
I was thinking about, um, you know, the, the same drum that they kept on beating the entire Patricia era, which was like, you know, competitive edge, competitive edge, competitive edge. And I kind of thought about like, Hey, it would have been really nice if Bob Quinn just would have drafted players that would have given the team a competitive edge rather than having to play things so close to the chest. Um, I think that there would be some, some value though, in terms of, like I said, originally visibility, like, just having this team be viewed in a different light than it has been over the past few seasons. Um, and I mean, I think, I think players probably, they, they catch the, you know, they catch the clips. I think they, you know, they catch the, the memes and, and other things that'll come out of hard knocks. And I, I think that here's, here, here's the last point is that everybody we've talked to about Dan Campbell has just like labeled him captain charisma. Right. And I think it would be awesome to broadcast that to everybody and to show them, Hey, this is what it's like to play for Dan Campbell. And if you're not a player in the building, maybe you're a player on the outside and it's like, wow, that seems like an awesome guy I'd like to play for. Or, you know, I just think the lions have a lot to do in terms of rebuilding their image. And uh, I mean, hard knocks can't hurt that. Yeah, and, and they also, I mean, it's not just about rebuilding the image to, you know, people from the, on the outside. It's, it's people on the inside, too. Like, let's make the Detroit Lions fun again for, for the players because it didn't yeah. seem like they were having a lot of fun out there. And obviously, the, the easiest way to do that is to just get some wins. But in the meantime, like, let the players be players. Let them showcase their personality a little bit. And I think Hard Knocks could potentially do that. Um, I think the biggest question is, can you sell the Detroit Lions on Hard Knocks to a national audience? And that one might be a little bit tougher, at least at this point, right? Uh, honestly, I, th- I think you could with the coaching staff because you have so many ex players as coaches, right? I think there's there, there's a storyline there that you can you can bend towards it, especially. As, I mean, look, they could capitalize on Dan Campbell's press conference of biting kneecaps off like nobody's business. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. the if the the two benefits again, you guys you guys have hit on them both. It's just it's it's image, and then it's can you use this platform to show that it uh, the NFL other NFL players that are going to be potential free agents. Yeah. I want to go play for that coach. Cause you know, we all heard this off season, how coaches were going to want to coach for Campbell. Well, now can you twist it into I, now players are going to want to play for these coaches. That's, that's really the only benefit that I could see. Only two benefits. Fair enough. Fair enough. All and, right, we got- and hey, real quick, it would be Jared Goff's second appearance on Hard Knocks, and I don't think any other player can maybe maybe claim that. <laughs> uh, Anthony Lynn, too, I believe, as well. So there you go. Got Jason, Cab- Jason Cabinda. Oh, that's right. There you go. Look, look at that. Uh, all right, uh, we got another speaker request here from Tom. Let me bring him in here. Tom, can you hear us? Hey, Tom, are you there? Yeah, can you hear me okay? Yep, yep. Great. Um, thank you guys for putting this on. This is terrific. Been following your uh, writing for a long time, and I uh, really appreciate you guys doing this to be able to speak to you in person. Um, question. So, Eric, you just mentioned Lions are going to be running more of a, a Ram-style defense. That's split safety, one-gap penetrating defensive line. And I'm just wondering, how does that translate to the Saints defense, right? Aaron Glenn being in the, uh, you know, coaching in the, in the Saints defense for so long, will that experience? Yeah, I think so, because, you know, the Saints are, are running a penetrating front, right? Uh, I think most of where Aaron, Aaron Glenn's benefit will come is uh, the, the style of uh, 
coverage that they're going to use on on the back end right now he he's so comfortable because he's played in so many different schemes over his career and then while his coaching has uh, you know been with the, mainly the Jets and, and the uh, and the Saints I think he's adaptable to a, to a lot of different schemes so I, I think um, yeah for sure he's he's got enough experience in in, in different uh, avenues in order to be successful in this uh, in this scheme. And and even if he does feel out of place at any time, he's got a big Dom Capers standing right behind him helping him out. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent, right? Yeah. And then you also have to remember, Wash, uh, the defensive line coach, was a is a former defensive coordinator as well. So there's a couple of experienced guys that are there for him to be uh, as a sounding board. But then you also have some young up and coming um, up and coming coaches with energy like uh, Pleasant, who's uh, going to be working with those defensive backs. Uh, question yeah. here from our, our, our live chat. Um, we, we've been talking a lot about the first round of uh, of the draft. What about the second round? Jagger asks, where could the Lions go with the second round pick? I, I think the answer to this question isn't even really dependent upon what the Lions do with their first pick. You right. know what I mean? Like, yep. I, I think I think the theme for the Lions draft this year is just value. And if the value is, as Eric mentioned, maybe the value is like moving on to 2022 and maybe accumulating draft picks that way. Not saying that the Lions would completely trade out of the second round, but if, you know, trading back in the second round nets you an additional third or fourth or fifth round pick, like, yeah, you you do that. And I think that it, it also applies to players too. I mean, if the Lions take a wide receiver in the first round, but what if all of a sudden there's another wide receiver that was really high on their board and falls in the second round? If the Lions are moved on from Kenny Galladay, as as Eric again mentioned, there there's so many different kinds of wide receivers that are at the top of the top of the board in the top ten. Whether or not you want to get your slot guy that can get separation, or your big guy outside, or you know a versatile guy like Kyle Pitts. Well, now if there's another guy in the second round that fits a different mold for you at wide receiver, can you really argue the Lions doubling up on that position if it, if it makes sense on their board? I mean, I think that the Lions truly are just going to be targeting value in, in this draft. Um, but I'm sure Eric, who's a little bit more in tune with the draft process, can give you some actual names of some guys that you might be interested <laughs> in if you're the Lions in the second round. Well, I, I tell you what, it, yeah, it, it does – what happens in the first round does dictate what happens here. Um, you know, if you don't get a receiver, then you're looking receiver here. If you don't get that linebacker, you're probably looking at a linebacker on day two. Um, but this is also the the sweet spot for the lines, right? Uh, offensive and defensive lines are going to be pretty uh, strong on, on day two. Not a lot of strength at defensive tackle in the first round, as we've talked about. But there's, uh, you know, Christian Barrymore, um, Nixon from Iowa, those are guys that might be there in the second. Then you've got another handful of guys that are going to be there in the third. But again, if you if you're not going tackle, that's a position that you're going to need down down the road. There's going to be a bunch of them. There's probably ten or eleven offensive tackles that I think go in the top one hundred. It's it's kind of an underrated uh, deep position uh, if you're going to get one in the first uh, two days. So I, I do I could definitely see them going to the line. Uh, to try and, and grab a guy either with their first third round pick or, or their second round pick. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
I was just going to say, I was going to say real quick, Jeremy, like some of those names that I see even on like pro football focuses, big board in terms of tackles that are in that range. It seems like Alex Leatherwood from Alabama, maybe he sneaks into the first round, but Walker little from Stanford, um, Jackson Carmen from Clemson, uh, even Dylan, uh, Randons from North Dakota state, like another offensive tackle, uh, uh, Samuel Cosme, another offensive tackle from Texas. Like, yeah, Eric's definitely onto something with um, maybe maybe the second round opens up opportunities for for a tackle to get taken. And, and a couple of guys like Carmen and um, and uh, Leatherwood, they can play tackle and guard, right? So if you're look if you're if you're not sure where to put Vitae, those guys may have some appeal um, mm, at, yeah. at that spot as well. Yeah. Uh, Derek Marshall in our chat says, what about the offensive tackle in Notre Dame? I believe he's referring to Liam Eichenberg. Any thoughts on him, Eric? Uh, he's in my uh, third tier of tackles. So that puts him right about in the uh, seven to nine offensive tackle range. But that's still, like I said, that's still going to be a, a day to pick. Um he kind of – I haven't like got a, like a full study that I've done on him, but I, I like him a, as one of the uh, ascending players. Uh, he played left tackle there, I believe exclusively. I don't think he played the right side if I'm remembering correctly. Um, so I'm not sure but like if he could translate to the right side, but th- that's true of a lot of these guys, right? Um, uh, uh, let's see. Cosme played right tackle a little bit. Um I mean, Jalen Mayfield from Michigan played right tackle exclusively, but he's probably not going to be there when the lines are on the board. Um, it's so it, you really got to get a feel for how many of these guys are, are, are position, you know, interchangeable between positions. Can they flip sides, or or do they are are they stuck at at, at only one side? Like um, Alaric Jackson from Iowa, he's only a left tackle. You know what I mean? Like he can't, he just doesn't adjust to the right side when they've tried them. So there's going to be, there's guys that can't make that transition. Uh, I'm not so sure about uh, uh, Eichenberg yet. Uh, yeah. PFF has him 54th overall prospect says he hasn't not given up a sack over the past two seasons, only 27 pressures. Uh, in terms of uh, actual production, pretty good. But yeah, again, you kind of want to make sure you have a guy that, they can play both positions or the one you're looking for, which is obviously right tackle because of the left tackle is, is probably locked down pretty good with Taylor Decker. Um, got another speaker quest. Josh, let's bring you aboard. Yeah. aboard. Josh, can you Josh, hear can you- Hey, you there? Can you hear me? Yeah. Can yep, you hear me? I can hear you now. Okay. Yeah. yeah so my question is more for Eric. Uh, in the draft and everything like that. Uh, obviously, the first round is kind of more of a clear picture. There's kind of, you know, there's some guys that after that top 15 where, where you know, there's discrepancies on where they could go. But for me, it's the second round and beyond. And, you know, you talked about how you have your rankings. But when you're looking at big boards all throughout, you know, online, PFF, Draft Bible, Walter Football, all these different ranking systems, they have these guys all over the place. Mm-hmm. And some guys will have Davion Nixon as a, French first rounders, some have them as a late second to third. And then, so when you're going through and you're trying to look at fits for your Detroit Lions and their picks, how are you, how are you really grading out uh, and balancing everyone else's predict, uh, draft boards and, and predictions with your rankings and your predictions and, uh, and team needs and everything like that? So, like, how do you balance it out? Um, okay, so that, that's an excellent question. What I do is, um, 
I, I do take into account certain draft boards. Um, I like PFF. I like the guys from the draft network. I think Dane Brugler is fantastic. Um, well, I'll Dane. also look at like, yeah, I also, I'll also look at like Lance Zierlein and, uh, and uh, Daniel Jeremiah from NFL. But what I do is um, I actually input their rankings into an Excel spreadsheet and then I do an average of their rankings so that I can get an idea based on all of their guys, uh, based on all of their rankings, like which guy averages out compared to which guy. And then from there, um, I start doing my own homework on them and then I can kind of move guys up and move guys down based on, um, how good I think they are. And then I'll start looking at how do they specifically fit into the lions and then I'll shift them around on my board from there as well. So, um, there's a couple layers that go into how I end up setting, uh, my board for the lions. All right. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that because I'm trying to work on mine for the Buccaneers and it's like, you know, you're going around and then you watch tape and you're like, well, this tape looks better than this ranking on this side. Sure. It's, uh, (laughs) you know, it also, as you said, all depends on team fits and how they fit within the schemes and everything like that. So it's, uh, it's, it's been an issue and issue for me. And I just figured, you know, someone who has the experience, I'd, you know, tap into your wealth of knowledge. So thank you for that. Yeah, no problem. I, I think if you're trying to do it on your own, again, yeah, the best thing to do is just to kind of get a baseboard out there. And, and by, by creating just that baseboard, by utilizing some of those other ranking systems, uh, that's a good way to get the start. But the, the thing you have to keep in mind is that these rankings are ranking them regardless of they're trying to rank for all 32 teams, regardless of scheme. And so that's where you have to really put your eye on things is, yeah, this guy isn't going to fit in this system and this is why. So he's going to probably not be on your team's board or this guy fits exactly what they need. So you're probably going to move him up. A, a perfect example um, for the Lions is is a couple years back when um, Jelani Tavai was a perfect fit for the Lions scheme, but he wasn't a good fit for, um, I'd say, 28% of the other, you know, 28 teams uh, in the NFL, but he fit real well for what the Lions were doing. And the Lions thought high enough of him to go get him in the second round before a team like the Dolphins or the Patriots uh, were able to get him. And now, so now he's a bit of an odd fit in the new scheme, but that's an example of how teams will really focus on guys that are so specific, even though they're probably not going to be as high on the on the general rankings uh, of like a PFF or a Dane. And then I just have one more question, and this is a player who I think fits almost any scheme. Uh, so uh, Deo Ariyengbo out of Vanderbilt, obviously towards Achilles at the Senior Bowl. Um, but where do you think his fit, his best fit is, and uh, where do you think his draft range falls? Because I saw him, you know, potential late first sneaking in there with a good senior bowl and a good pro day. And now with that torn Achilles, it looks like he's probably going to miss, if not the entire year, but most of the year. Uh, how far would that slide him down draft boards? Yeah, the injury is really the trick, right? And so teams are going to get uh, an evaluation uh, from his pro day on how uh, quickly he'll be able to recover or how, you know, how much, how quickly they expect him to be able to recover. Um, from a talent perspective, I think he's a day two pick. And, um, I mean, look, it's, it's six, five, two seventy five, and he's got like almost 36 inch arms like that. That's going to be going to be very appealing for people who love edge rushers. And so there's going to be a lot of teams that really value, um, just, just the, the body type is going to be really important for him. Uh, but the injury really will dictate how far he drops from, from there. Now, 
is there a team that's comfortable with uh, waiting a year and they're they're like, hey, I'll throw a third rounder at them. Yeah, abs- there there could definitely be that. But a, a team that has bigger needs and needs people to be more impactful, they're probably hoping he's going to slide a little bit and they can you know get a, a better deal on him later. So it, it's really going to come down to. Um, you know, how teams, one, how the injury report comes back, and then two, um, you know, what the team's strength is or, or, or when they need him to contribute down the line. All right, awesome. Doc. Yeah, thank you guys so much for, for the advice, and uh, good luck this season. I'll talk to you guys soon. Sounds good, Josh. Thanks for the question. Uh, appreciate it. And, yeah, uh, we're going to keep doing this uh, every week, guys. So if you, if you don't get a question in this week, feel free to come back next week. Uh, we're going to try to do these every Saturday morning. Uh, already i think going really really well having a good time with this uh we do have another speaker request as we kind of wind down here uh let's bring dj on here dj can you hear us yep can you hear me all right absolutely so my question is with the new coaching staff what position group could be a pleasant surprise Mm, that's a good one i think i think if i had to answer that right away my my mind goes to cornerback right the Lions have a lot of young talent there they've got a coordinator who's a former cornerback former defensive backs coach they got another good guy in Aubrey Pleasant and yeah I I think we could see a big jump in there I think the biggest question with the cornerbacks is just who do they keep because obviously we're we're talking about roster cuts coming here with trying to save some money here and and Desmond Trufant and Justin Coleman are, are both guys that can save the Lions a lot of money but they might also be guys that could just potentially play better with better coaching right Maybe maybe not so much Desmond Trufant because, you know, he's getting up there in age and, and some of the things that made him good are, are just not there anymore in terms of the athletic profile. But a guy like Justin Coleman, I mean, we were all really, really high on him when the Lions signed him. And even for the first month he was here, it was like, yeah, this might actually turn out to be worth it. And then it just, like, fell off, and you're wondering, is this a coaching thing? Is this just kind of a, 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 a you know, mirage the entire time? Um, I, I, I don't know. Um, I think, I think it might be too tempting to get that, that salary cap room for, for a guy that might not be part of your long-term plans anyways, but Justin Coleman's kind of one of those interesting cap casualties out there that I'm like, I kind of want to see him given another chance under a better coaching staff. But, uh, but I think, I think maybe it's, it's, it's just too much cap space to, to pass up. What do you guys think about, uh, this coaching staff and who they could improve the most? I think you immediately, Jeremy hit it on the head with with the cornerback position. I mean, you have a guy who really did it in Aaron Glenn. I mean, you're talking about a former all-pro cornerback who has, for all intents and purposes, worked himself from the bottom of the food chain when it comes to being a scout to now being the defensive coordinator for the Detroit Lions. And if you look at just what he was able to do in New Orleans, building that defensive backfield into one of the best units in the entire NFL, you have to feel encouraged with guys like Amani Oruarie and Jeff Okuda um, playing playing back there for him. Um, whether or not I, I think the this is the delicate dance that's happening too um, is making those decisions about cap casualties because of this uh, you know the salary cap constraints. But uh, I want to toss this over to Eric real quick before he answers, you know, which which position um, could could stand to see the most improvement, like the original question. But I'm looking at like the draft network's prospect rankings, Eric, and for the cornerback position, it seems like there's two guys at the top with Caleb Farley and and Patrick Sertan. Um, Those guys are going to be surefire first round picks. But then you look at like 
there's 11 guys that are situated in their top 100 that kind of fall in that like definitely like day two to early day day three range so like do you think that the lions grab a corner um if they decide to you know make some cap casualties be justin coleman or or desmond trufant yeah i think it's an option um in my mind i do think coleman is probably going to get uh cut because like jeremy said there's just so much cap space that you can save Uh, i could see them turning around and using that money on uh troy hill uh, the 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 Rams nickelback from last year. I could see them doing that, trying to get him at a, at a cheaper price. Uh, but if they do want to look to the draft, there there are going to be some nickel options in that range uh, as well. Um, Elijah Molden is one of the better nickelbacks in this class. He can he's uh, an, he can play corner safety, whatever you want to call him. He can play in the middle. He's a little undersized, but I, I, I think he fits that mold. You could also look at more outside guys. Uh, like uh, Greg Newsom, I think J.C. Horn is probably the third best corner in this class. So, uh, you know, if they want to add some depth or insurance uh, on the outside, they got they'll have that option as well. So um, I, I think the nickel, what they do at nickel is going to be very interesting. Like, are they going to go after uh, a, a nickel corner or are they going to go after like a safety who can uh, play in the nickel? Um, you know, kind of in the mold of like, uh, you know, Jeremy Chin or Tyron Matthew or like what type of uh, are, are they look, what are they looking to do with that nickel spot? I think there's some options in this class, uh, especially on day two. All right, DJ, appreciate the question. Do you have another one or, or that's it? Keep up the good work, guys. Appreciate it, DJ. All right. I think uh, I, we're, we're kind of pushing the edge of an hour here. So I think it's about time we, we close it up. Uh, I thought this was a supreme success uh, appreciate everyone who stopped by asked some questions uh, we're definitely going to continue to do this uh, if you haven't already make sure you're following all three of us on social media you got eric schlitt at eric schlitt that's with a k uh and sh sc i always mess up s-c-h-l-i-t-t two t's unlike ryan matthews uh who is at ryan underscore p-o-d i'm at detroit online make sure you're following if you if you're watching us live you can catch this on our POD cast feed. You can find us just look up Pride of Detroit on any of your Pride of uh, or any of your podcast needs. You can also follow us on Twitch and YouTube, or just go and check out our written stuff over on prideofdetroit.com. But until next time, everybody, everybody, it's chaos. Be kind. to do's less time and an infinite number of tools to keep track of sometimes doing business has never felt harder but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals you can just use hubspot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier 
Imagine this, high quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.